gentlemen. Good morning, weirdos. Good morning, wildcats. Good morning, sinners and saints of all shapes and sizes and colors. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Uh, it is um, coming up on December. It is November 30th. I uh, hope you all had a happy Thanksgiving and are getting in the holiday spirit. Uh, Christmas is right around the corner. Hope you're all doing well. Um, coming at you this morning with the 2018 Boundless Gaze Awards. Um, wanted to give you a little taste of what you're in store for, because this time next month I will be doing a 2019 recap and Boundless Gaze Awards. And I loved so many movies from 2018, I just couldn't help but uh, get two birds stoned at once and give some love to some of these titles as well as show you how my format's going to work for the 2019 releases. What a hell of a year 2018 was. My goodness, my goodness me. It's pretty crazy. I'm going to finish the show with uh, listing off my top 30 of the year in descending order. And what a struggle. It's kind of crazy when, uh, I mean... It's one thing when a year, you know, when it's hard to do a top 10, but when you have difficulties putting a top 30 together, when there's still films that are uh, tremendous and left a mark on you and you can't squeeze them in there, um, I think that's a really good year. <laughs> Since this is my show and my awards, it's going to be my categories and my rules, and um, there will be no one winner. I'm not going to list five nominees and then choose one of them, you know, as... We all know films are uh, apples and oranges, and there's no reason to turn it into sport. Uh, I will just be having a love fest of inclusivity. And when one of the categories comes up, I will just um, give some love to, uh, you know, wherever it applies, whatever's eligible. And so, without further ado, I know that millions of you all over the world have been waiting in anticipation for the BGAs, the Boundless Gaze Awards, 2018. <laughs> and here they are. Okay, okay, okay. Let's get down to business, folks. No messing around. I'll plug some more shows uh, at the end of the show and talk about what I got coming up. But there's, there's a lot of awards to give out. So without further ado, let's hop right in. 2018 BGAs, baby. Hey, hey. Okay. Most of these are going to be lovey-dovey, you know, and I'm going to be uh, just blowing most of these movies. So we're going to get the two categories where I'm throwing shade out of the way immediately. First of all, just a general thing. Saddest moment of the year in for film. Um, I'm not even going to include a specific moment from a movie. I don't want to spoil anything. Um, it was just two movie-related things. Rest in peace to movie pass. Man, was that good while it lasted. Uh, for those of you not in the know, Movie Pass was a subscription service. It was like ten bucks a month. Uh, I think it was like eight, actually. Either way, yeah, floating around ten. And for that price, you could see one movie a day, every day of the month. Um, for the cost of your one, t like for a guy like me, that was heaven. That was I was going almost every day because it was like, oh, well, why not? <laughs> I don't know how this is working, and it's going to collapse immediately. But enjoy it while it lasts, and enjoy it i did um i really miss it man did that save me a lot of money but too good to last and that company has just been floating and uh 
taking loans and going bankrupt and doing bait-and-switch tactics and getting themselves into all sorts of trouble. So 2018, I will always remember Rest in Peace Movie Pass. Also that year, Rest in Peace Filmstruck. Oh my my. Luckily, the void was filled after not too long. After another six or seven months, we got the Criterion Channel, which I'm very thankful for. Um, but man, was that a sad day when Filmstruck went down. Um, it just broke my heart. There was no film service like that. Um, nothing as lovingly curated or with the extensive archives. That the, like, It was just, it was a film lover's dream, a cinephile's utopia. And uh, gone but not forgotten. I'll always remember Filmstruck fondly. And Criterion Channel's basically filled in their shoes and then some. So, it's not that sad. <laughs> um, okay, and then quickly, biggest disappointments of the year. Not a whole lot. I don't tend to get disappointed because, you know, I watch trailers and I keep things on my radar. And I tend to know my own tastes. And so I don't have high expectations for things that... I don't think are going to be good, you know? Like, I always keep my expectations in check. And so most of the time, if anything, I'm, I'm usually pleasantly surprised. But there were just a couple duds. Um, I did not like the way that Venom was handled. I love Tom Hardy. And I think there are some redeeming elements of that movie. But on the whole, it's like, oh, man. I wish that character would have gotten a better movie. I don't need to spend too long shitting on Venom. Like, it's not, yeah, it's whatever. Kind of inconsequential movie. Um, and same thing with Predator, the Predator, um, whatever, I just, you know, not the way I would have handled that character, but I didn't make the movie, Shane Black did, and once again, there are some redeeming qualities to that movie too, and it's actually quite funny, there's a couple good gags in it, but just not a, yeah, sloppy handling of two great characters, um, and those were really my biggest disappointments, uh, so that's as much, uh, shade as I'll be throwing today, now let's get to the the big old party <laughs> so going from like sad and disappointment straight into the exact opposite high who was the animal of the year Oof, million dollar question million dollar question now the obvious answer is paddington bear paddington brown from paddington 2 but as he's like the star of the show and uh, gets so much screen time, it's almost unfair. So, caveat, he gets the award, but l- let's give some more shout-outs. Also a bear um, that took you in the exact opposite of the emotional spectrum was the bear-slash-boar-slash-screaming-woman hybrid from Annihilation, if you recall that unsettling terrifying scene a bear boar hybrid with a rotted skeleton when it opens its mouth exudes the screams of a dying woman and it's one of the most terrifying things i've ever seen that thing was fucked (laughs) um also uh, who who can forget horatio the fastest duck in the city from the favorite uh <laughs> I love that sequence in the favorite. <laughs> and I love the callback later when he's sitting there and he's uh, the rich guy's like, "Yes, yeah, this is <laughs> Horatio's the fastest duck in the city." That was a good stuff. Um also the bongo playing octopus in Aquaman. I mean, what's not to love there? It's a bongo playing octopus. Okay? 
what more do you need? Uh, but really, Animal, when you get down to it, it's Paddington Bear all day long. If you have yet to see Paddington 2, I, I can, uh, I, that'll come back later. Spoiler alert for later in the show, Paddington 2 is very high on my movies of the year list. Um, it's a goddamn perfect movie. Watch Paddington 2. More on that later. Biggest surprise of the year. Um, for me, out and out, I would have to be honest and say Mission Impossible Fallout. I remember seeing these trailers in front of everything. Every time I went to the movies and I was like sick of it. I was making fun of it every time. I'm like, oh my god, it's Tom Cruise. It's He can't climb. He's falling off of everything. Look at him. Uh, <laughs> and it just, I was like, god, it just looks so corny. Like, what the fuck? can't believe these are still going on. And I saw some reviews coming in from some people I really trusted. Uh, David Ehrlich from IndieWire gave it 5 out of 5 and called it like one of the best, or the best action movie since Mad Max Fury Road. And he's kind of a, you know, indie, he's like the main wire, main writer for IndieWire. So his tastes tend to lean a little more art house and indie. And um, he doesn't usually positively review blockbuster fare like that. Um, so I knew there had to be something special about this. So I gave it a shot and ended up seeing it twice in the theater. And I think three or four times on Blu-ray since I've bought it. It's just incredible. Um and then that made me retroactively go back and rewatch the Mission Impossible movies that I had not seen. And it's a tremendous franchise. Holy cow. I kind of slept on it. I always, on the surface, you know, made fun of it uh, in the periphery. But Tom Cruise is amazing. He's a maniac. And that character is so cool. It's basically the American James Bond, you know? Except uh, cooler. <laughs> I know that's blasphemy in certain social circles, but whatever. I said it. Even hunts the man. And Mission Impossible Fallout rules. Um, also in the biggest surprise category, I would throw out uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Um, I kind of rolled my eyes at it. Oh, same thing when I saw the trailer. You know, we're just fresh off of the MCU Spider-Man movies and the Spider-Man game coming out. And uh, it, it just seemed like we were a little saturated. And I was like, oh, God, another one. Man, they're really pushing that home. But then I took some substances and uh, went to a double feature of Aquaman and Into the Spider-Verse and caught a late show of Into the Spider-Verse and we were the only ones in the theater and we're just blown away. It's a visual feast. Looks like nothing else um, I've ever seen. Visually arresting. Great soundtrack, great sound design, great story. It gets almost like Rick and Morty-ish with uh, dimensions and different versions of people of characters um just really neat uh was pleasantly surprised by that and also let's see rounding out the biggest surprise category i'd have to give a shout out to can you ever can you ever forgive me um i hadn't seen anything for this so i had no expectations no preconceptions i uh, didn't even really know what it was actually i just caught this one in telluride we caught the world premiere at Telluride that year and this is the one where Melissa McCarthy plays Lee Israel um, a famous forger of documents of letters and she is inherently funny and charming you know but uh, there's a real melancholy to the movie like there's a real sense of 
sadness and loneliness, proper loneliness, and a person that's aging and dying and doesn't know where they stand in the world anymore, you know? Um, hell of a feature. Uh, more on that later, too. That's going to come up in my best of the year. We had plenty of... It, 2018 was a hell of a year for exciting new talent. Um, we got lots of first-time f features that knocked it out of the park, and then lots of verification of greatness uh, from people's second and third features. And even a couple of the old masters came out to the party this year. Um, so in that vein, let's get down to noteworthy directorial debuts, starting with my man Bo Burnham and his feature, Eighth Grade. Whoa, 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 whoa. Um, those of you that know me know I love Bo Burnham. Uh, his comedy, his poetry. I, uh, the dude is a genius, and I, I just love him. One of my favorite people. And so when I heard that he turned his talents toward the world of filmmaking, writing and directing, and that he took his first movie to Sundance and it was immediately bought by A24. I was like, oh, yep, <laughs> I'm in. This is going to be one of my favorites of the year. And sure enough, it was. Uh, eighth Grade is remarkable. More on that at the end. But for a first feature, um, all of the elements coming to play there and the emotional intelligence that he exhibits, the craftsmanship on display... Uh, remarkable first feature. This was also the year that we got Ari Aster's Hereditary. Boom! What a... Whoa! What a tremendous feature. Definitely more on that later. That's very high. Um, <laughs> we got Boots Riley's Sorry to Bother You. What an announcement to say I'm here. What a hell of a first feature. Uh, if you have not seen that, check out Sorry to Bother You. Properly bonkers satire, and one of the best anti-capitalist movies I've ever seen. I think it might be still streaming on Hulu. Not sure. Let's see. Also, Corey Finley, um, Thoroughbreds, heck, hell of a first feature. We had Jonah Hill, uh, getting going from in front of the camera to behind the camera with his debut mid '90s, which I loved a great deal, and. Rounding out the directorial debuts from first-time filmmakers would be Bradley Cooper. Another guy that went from in front of the camera to behind the camera. Um, he wasn't quite as lucky as these aforementioned people because he got like $40 million to make A Star is Born. Um, <laughs> those other guys were working on much smaller budgets. But, uh, I mean, for stepping up to the plate and doing a, a you know, a mid, a good budgeted movie like that um i think bradley knocked it out of the park uh stars born was quite good and while we're in the vein of discoveries and people announcing themselves um let's transition from behind the camera to in front of the camera we had elsie fisher eighth grade star of eighth grade whoa 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 look out for her amazing first performance um i think that girl's going to be a star and also thomas and mckenzie from Leave No Trace. Same thing, first performance ever on film, and home run, out of the park, out of sight. Um, I would also throw Helena Howard in there, another young actress, uh, star of Madeline's Madeline. Uh, exceptional work there, like experimental physical theater 
out there, like capital P performance going for it. Um, and the structure of that movie is just so... Uh, Madeline's Madeline. Uh, yes, highly recommend. That's still on Amazon Prime, I believe. And Helena Howard, look out for her. She is... I think you're going to start seeing her around. I think I just saw her in uh, Euphoria. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, the A24 HBO joint. She is definitely a rising young star. I would also give a shout-out to Ekaterina Samsonov, um, young girl from You Were Never Really Here. That couldn't have been a easy role to play, and I think she did a very good job. That was tough stuff, and um, that girl was traumatized like she just saw a ghost. Like, Yes, very good. Let's see here. Where should we head over to? How about original soundtrack? Now, I am going to distinguish original soundtrack and then soundtrack. Um, original soundtrack being the score for the movie, the original pieces of music that were written for the movie and belong to the movie. And then soundtrack being licensed songs that already exist in the world that they used in the movie. There is a difference. So starting with original score, get out of town. It, it's annihilation all day for me. <laughs> the noises that those guys came up with, um, in particular, the last song, it's just called Alien. It's like seven minutes long. And the frequencies that they explore, and it, I mean, it's properly alien. Uh, and it gives me chills. Um, so titillating and enthralling, yet unsettling and terrifying at the same time, uh, dissonant yet harmonious, like, I don't understand the tightrope they're walking there, but I love it. You would also have to give some love to Cold War in that regard. The original tunes that they came up with for that, the songs, I don't know, I can't speak Polish. <laughs> so I won't butcher the names of the songs, but tremendous, tremendous work there. Also, eighth grade. Um, I forget who, damn it, who to credit for that. I know Bo didn't do the music, uh, which is surprising, but whoever he got to do it did a really good job. There was some nice sounds at play there. Um, also got to give some love to Johnny Greenwood. I mean, pretty much any year he does a score, it's going to land on my favorites of the year. And this year, he not, er, yes, in this year of 2018 that I'm talking about, not this year, <laughs> uh, you were never really here. Great work there. We had the very last soundtrack ever from Johan Johansson with Mandy and his kind of wailing, reverby, atmospheric, angelic <laughs> strain. <laughs> I don't even know what is going on in that soundtrack, but I, I love it. Um, excellent work there. And Rest in peace, Johan. Actually, geez Louise, how did I forget to put that in my saddest movie moments of the year? Um, one of the greats, and, and he will be missed. You'd also have to throw Trent Reznor's work on there. I mean, same thing there. Uh, I mean, any, any year he has a soundtrack out, it's probably going to be on my favorites of the year. And it was no different with mid-90s. He only did like five ditties for it, but they're all great. I'm in particular a fan of Big Wide World. And let's see here. You'd also have to give some love to the favorite in that department and the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. I mean, come on. This makes that list just for when cowboys trade their boots for wings. 
Let me tell you, buddy, there's a faster gun. Quality, quality tracks. That'll do it for original scores. Uh, soundtracks, also going right back to mid-90s. The score for that was great, but the, the licensed song he used, the licensed songs he used um, hit home for me. Uh, Old Man and the Gun, for sure. Uh, Bad Times at the El Royale. And the previously mentioned Into the Spider-Verse. All quality soundtracks. Heading from sounds into sights. Let's go, I mean, cinematography on the whole is almost not even, I can't even do it because I'm just going to end up basically listing my top 30 or 40 of the year. Um, incredible shots through the year. Um, some really unique perspectives. And they each have their, like, it's, it's I, I, yeah. If I ended up doing whole cinematography as a whole, it's like, I'd have to give love to everything because they're all, yeah, brilliant in their own way. But I could break it down a little bit more specific. Let's see. Uh, opening shots. Very, very first shot. I'd have to give that to Hereditary. Um, the slow pan around. Establishing the room. The tiny house. The slow pan in. And the transition into the real house. Like, brilliant. Also, 8th grade's opening shot. Um, just opening up on Kayla doing a video log. And immediately knowing what you're in for, that yeah, that was great. First Reformed, it's hard to argue with that push in on the church. And Thunder Road, this might be the best opening shot. Uh, oh man, I can't say for certain whether or not there's a couple cuts or not beforehand. But I just do remember in the very beginning of this movie, he gives a speech at his mother's funeral. And it starts from the back of the church. So you have them in full, long, wide profile. And throughout, like, the, it's got to be a good five, six minutes. Just the most steady push-in. PTA style, Stanley Kubrick style, just very patient, very deliberate push-in. Until, I mean, you go from the back of the church all the way up slowly but surely until we're in close-up on him. Uh, while he runs through this entire manic... I mean, he's burying his... Mo yeah, it's incredible. Incredible opening shot. That's an incredible movie. Thunder Road, Thunder Road, Thunder Road. Check it out. Um, opening credits, I would say... Also 8th grade. Uh, and Isle of Dogs. <laughs> you gotta love the Japanese drummers over the... Cr yeah, no, that, those were great credits. Closing shot. Um, free of context and spoilers. I would definitely say Cold War. That's probably my favorite out-and-out out shot and moment closing. Uh, but also, I'd have to give some love to Shoplifters and First Reformed and Paddington 2. I mean, if the very last shot of Paddington 2 doesn't give you the feels, you're fucking dead inside. <laughs> I'd also give some love to Thunder Road there and Mandy, and You Were Never Really Here, and Mid-90s, and, you know, um, Avengers Infinity War. That, what you know, love it or hate it, the MCU, and whether or not you take the Marvel movies seriously, or whatever, uh, the end of Infinity War was pretty damn cool. Half of everyone disappearing, and Thanos looking out over uh, the sunrise. 
the slides mark. I was like, holy shit. So now I gotta wait a whole year <laughs> to see how they resolve. We know everyone's coming back. You know, there's no properly sad endings, but yeah, that was that was a pretty cool closing shot from that year. And closing credits sequence. No contest here. Annihilation in that DMT style swirling it's like the singularity the the coalescence of mind and matter and light and mass swirling like it's just beautiful to behold while the beautiful score is playing it's a it's a visual feast and that movie you know punched me right in the gut the first couple times it still does but in the theater especially i remember just being i was unable to move and so it was perfect that they had a, a pretty closing s- credit sequence for me to look at while I got a grip on reality. <laughs> as much as I ever can, anyway. Let's see here. Warmest Feeling Award. The, the one that just, you know, it was a big hug from start to finish and just made you feel good about being alive and made you want to be a better person and love everyone you see. No contest there. That's Paddington, too with a second place going to Won't You Be My Neighbor, the Mr. Rogers documentary. Um, Both of those just encourage warmth and pleasantness and friendliness, neighborliness, lending a helping hand, and just making your environment a more positive place and being more understanding and empathetic of people. Beautiful, beautiful movies. Both of them made me laugh and cry and have all the feels, but mostly warm. (laughs) And that's why they get that award coldest feeling award and it's not necessarily a bad thing uh because in most of these cases that was you know the intent the vision of the filmmaker like that's how they want you to feel so the most successful in making me feel the coldest would be hereditary for sure and suspiria and hostiles that was a movie that slipped under the that i believe is still available on netflix hostiles with Ro- Rosamund Pike and Christian Bale and Wes Studi. Incredible movie. Very dark western um, that just captures how hard life was at that time. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's, it's brutal. Zama left me quite cold. Um, Crecia Mart- Lucretia Martel's movie um, about an isolated man. In it, yeah, no, that... That is also available on Amazon Prime, Prime Zama. Uh, That's a heartbreaker. (laughs) Um, Annihilation, you know, some of the implications of the end, that that also leaves me cold, being a human. But that also left me, like, that's that's an ending that there's a lot of ways to feel about. Let's see here. One more technical award. Let's see. I'll uh, I'll give some shout-outs to my favorite editing of the year. Definitely Cold War. I love how snappy it is, um, but also how patient it is. It knows when to cut, and it knows when to stay. There's something magical about the fact that that movie's only 90 minutes long, 88 minutes long to be exact, and feels like a proper epic. Um, I think a lot of filmmakers should take notes on Cold War and how it does that. Uh, Editing. Also, you'd you'd have to give some love to Hereditary in that regard. And he carried some of his motifs over into Midsommar. Um, he's got a unique sense of, of editing and pacing. Eighth grade, 
same thing. I love the way that that was framed through her video logs and the way it was cut together. American Animals, uh, that movie is a feat, uh, a miracle of editing. The way that it, the the way that that movie's framed is half documentary, half you know narrative fiction feature, and they blend together quite unlike anything I've ever seen. You have a talking head style documentary where these guys are looking at the camera telling you the story, but then it's cutting, it's cross cutting between like Evan Peters and Barry Keegan, uh, in a movie, like doing what these guys are. T- it, fascinating. And uh, couldn't have been done without a great editor. Also, you'd have to give some love to Vice in that regard. <laughs> um, edit, yeah, that that yes, very well edited movie. With the closing credits midway through, I started laughing so hard. <laughs> There's a gag where you think like the movie's over and they start rolling credits, and uh, no, it's yeah, uh, what a way to commit to a joke. And last but not least for that department, I would give some love to Let the Corpses Tan. Wonderful, snappy, clearly inspired by Sergio Leone and the spaghetti westerns of the 60s and 70s. In both its editing style and its cinematography, um, it's just a total love letter to that, but with a modern day kind of story. And it's really just a dirty, sexy movie. Italian, those Italians, man, they get weird. That one's still on Amazon Prime too, and that also comes in at a tight ninety minutes. I would actually really recommend that. Mo- yeah, I like that movie a lot. Let the corpses tan. Okay, I believe that does it for that. Let's head on over to some acting awards. I'm not gonna break it down by best uh, supporting yada yada yada. We're just, I'm just going to give you a list of actresses that fucking knocked it out of the park this year list of actors that knocked it out of the park this year and we will move on along uh in terms of actresses in 2018 it's hard to beat tony collette hereditary i mean fuck jesus christ that woman unbearable sadness like incredible she yeah (laughs) can't say can't praise tony collette in hereditary enough the other big, big ones for me that year would be Sakura Ando from Shoplifters. Incredible performance. P- you know, pretty subtle, pretty understated, but just genuine human beauty. And Joanna Kulig from Cold War, who plays Zula in Cold War. Uh, lightning in a bottle. Just a once-in-a-lifetime, like, supernova of a performance. Um, all-timer. Let's see here. I would also reiterate the four girls that I mentioned um, in Biggest Discoveries. All of those young ladies, keep your eyes out for. Thomas and McKenzie, Elsie Fisher, Helena Howard, and Ekaterina Samsonov. (laughs) You know, technically, I guess, because she's never acted before or since, Yalizia Aparicio, the star of Alfonso Cuaron's Roma. I mean, another thing, you know, lightning in a bottle, once-in-a-lifetime marriage of performance and filmmaker. Um, The things that she goes through in that movie. Yes. You would have to give some love to all of the girls in Annihilation as well. I mean, Natalie Portman rounds it out. Uh, You know, she's the star, but 
the rest of those girls that go on the mission, Tessa Thompson and Jennifer Jason Lee and Gina Rodriguez, all sensational. Um, Andrea Risenborough as the titular Mandy in Mandy. Something very surreal, something very uh, just primordial, like ethereal. She's like a witch. She's like a, she's alluring, but um, you sense that there's something there, something dark. Very interesting face and eyes. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a great performance. You'd have to give some love to Cynthia Erivo from Bad Times at El Royale. Super good voice, great singing, did her own singing in that. And not exactly a hard face to look at. There's a couple shots that have really stuck with me from that movie of just her face, her big wide eyes, um, when she's in her car in the rain and the way the water is looking and the way her face is lit, just, yeah, stunning. And the mirror sequence where she's singing and Jeff Bridges is trying to, yeah, no, fantastic work there. Lady Gaga? <laughs> I say that kind of with a question mark because it's like you do have to use the caveat that in a way, she's playing a version of herself, you know, like there's there's too many parallels there. Uh, but the humanity and pathos that she does bring to certain moments, um, I think she's great. And uh, wouldn't be sad to see her on the big screen more. I think she was did a good job. Um, you have to give some love to the girls from Thoroughbreds, both Olivia Cook and... Gosh, what is her name? Um, Anya Taylor-Joy. Both tremendous. In that, uh, Amanda Seyfried in First Reformed. Just breaks your heart. Such a sweetie. She's such a sweetie. <laughs> Sally Hawkins, Paddington 2. And Tessa Thompson already got a shout-out for Annihilation, but I would also give her another shout-out for Sorry to Bother You. And talk about a, a talent that just can't be stopped a phoenix uh, fire that can't be put out tessa thompson Whew. look out for her world uh rebecca ferguson and who i mean she just blew my mind uh, two days ago when i saw dr sleep um but where i saw her was mission impossible fallout as elsie and uh chinga great stuff she is dynamite, and I don't think we're, we've seen the last of her. Um, have to give some love to Melissa McCarthy for her work in Can You Ever Forgive Me. You know, not unlike uh, Adam Sandler, Melissa McCarthy gets shoehorned as a comedian, you know, because there is this inherent likability and charm and, like, funniness. There's something inherently just funny about her. Um, she always brings the funny. But when she does step up to a dramatic role, she can knock it out of the park. And this was a great example of that. Uh, she does bring the funny at certain points, you know. But out and out, it's a, it's a drama. It's a character study. And she does really good work. You'd have to give some love to all of the girls from The Favorite, too. Uh, Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz and especially Olivia Coleman. She's Louise. Um three of them back and forth yeah the things they did and let's see here last but not least i would probably gotta give some love to my girl bell powley uh who was incredible in white boy rick 
Um, that movie on the whole left me a little cold, um, which I think might have been the intent. Um, <laughs> not that, no, it was like a great movie. Yeah, uh, yeah, okay. Don't want to spoil it. Um, but Bell Pally in that movie as Rick's heroin-addled sister and the genuine moments of freak-out and withdrawal that she has, the excruciating emotion that she goes through, is tremendous. And uh, I'm always, sign me up for anything that girl does. There's just something about her face and her eyes and uh, the performances that she's given us thus far. Uh, I think she's a very promising talent. And I look forward to seeing where she pushes herself next. What a list. What a who's who. What a, yeah, what a dynamite year for the gals, huh? Over to the boys. I would have to give some love to Ethan Hawke. Um, first reformed. All-timer performance. Yeah. There are things in that that haunt me and will never leave me. And uh, Ethan just absolutely crushed that. Tomas Kott, um, the lead of Cold War. Well, the co-lead. Um, the male, one half of that movie, uh, brilliant work, never seen him in anything before, don't even know if he's like a, a full-time Polish actor or not, um, but man, that performance won't be leaving me anytime soon, and same with Lily Frankie in Shoplifters, great work, you'd have to give some love to the two guys from Hereditary, um, Alex Wolf and Gabriel Byrne, both not not easy things to deal with, not easy work to do there, um, and I think they knocked it out of the park. Uh, Josh Hamilton, the father, Elsie's father, in eighth grade, very sweet, very uh, just just kind of breaks your heart <laughs> how good of a single dad he is. Um, Nicholas Holt in the favorite, big time, big time. Uh, not the biggest fan of Nicholas Holt. Like, he hasn't really knocked my socks off. I guess I liked him as Nux in Mad Max Fury Road. That was good work. But other than that, I struggle to think of a time that I've been like, oh, yeah, Nicholas Holt's good. Um, but he was great in the favorite. He was at least funny. Um, Jim Cummings, star as well as writer, director, producer of Thunder Road. And that's basically like a crazy one-man show. Talk about running yourself through the gamut of the emotional spectrum of, you know, like a journey through the human heart and all of his various ins and outs. That dude put himself through some shit. And incredible performance. Uh, can't recommend that movie enough. Richard E. Grant um, as the flamboyantly gay old Brooklyn... Brooklynite, uh, <laughs> um, who is Melissa McCarthy's partner in crime in Can You Ever Forgive Me? And their back and forths are just so charming and funny and just good old-fashioned tough love. You know, old-school New York alcoholics. <laughs> good stuff. There was a, such a good shot of him lying to her about where he lived, and then he, when he walks her home, and then when she shuts the door, he puts up his coat, flares up the collar, and, and lights up a smoke, and walks in the opposite of direction of where he said he lived, because he doesn't have a home, he's just going for a walk, and there was something so, like, cold and romantic about, it was lit, like, something from the 40s, like, just an old, noir, smoky, a guy in a smoking jacket just walking down the street, nowhere to be, nowhere to go, uh, I love that performance, I mean, someone 
finally harnessed the power of Nick Cage. <laughs> Panos Cosmatos <laughs> channeled Nick Cage Ultra uh, Supreme in Mandy. Uh, look no further than the scene of him in his underwear in the bathroom, just bloody and chugging a bottle of vodka and screaming and <sighs> just panting like an animal. <laughs> um, uh, tremendous work from Nick Cage there. Love that fucker and love that performance. Um, Joaquin Phoenix, uh, three performances that year. You Were Never Really Here, great work. Forget the name of the guy, but he he played that famous cartoonist in Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot. And, and then he played Jesus, <laughs> uh, which admittedly I haven't seen, so I can't speak to that, but I'm sure he did. I'm sure he made a great Jesus. Um, Got to give some love to Raphael Casal and David Diggs, um, the writers and stars of Blind Spotting. Um, tremendous work. Uh, down to earth, real, genuine, lived in, because it's them, or slightly, you know, fictionalized versions of themselves and their story. But yeah, look forward to that team and wherever they put their creative talents next. Um, consistently underrated actor, one of the greats, uh, Ben Foster. I mean, pretty much every role he takes, he gives 110 percent, and he usually picks interesting projects to work on and gives that 110 percent, and it was no different in 2018 with Leave No Trace. Um, remarkable work. I mean, Tom Cruise, you know, you got to give some love to some t- Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt. In Mission Impossible 6, you know, doing his own stunts, bucking himself up, jumping out of planes hundreds of times, and climbing crazy shit and flying helicopters. Like, the dude's dedicated. And he brings a real sincerity to what could be ridiculous. Um, he takes it very seriously. And you got it. Um, I'd give some love also to Tom Waits. Tom Waits in the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. <laughs> uh, that's probably my favorite sequence of the six chapters in Ballad of Buster Scruggs. I, I find it hard to argue with the Tom Waits section where he's hanging out with Mr. Pocket looking for gold. Um, yeah, that just, that, I love that. Sonny Suljik. 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 Don't know how to pronounce it, but um, the young man who played the lead in Jonah Hill's mid-90s. Good stuff. Good stuff. Look out for that kid. Ryan Gosling, another dynamite performance. He rarely lets me down, if ever. And no different when he took on the role of Neil Armstrong in First Man. Um, outstanding work. Lakeith Stanfield's been on a roll uh, ever since the world saw him in the, you know, the first scene of Get Out. He's been... Uh, on everyone's list, he's, he's popping up everywhere, and uh, he was great in Boots Riley. Sorry to bother you that year. Christian Bale, you got a double dose of. Um, there's the showier, weight gain and prosthetics role of him taking on Dick Cheney, which he home run there um, in Vice. And then there was him in Hostels, which like tore me up. He's so good in that movie, so rugged, you know, proper old man's man, but like. There's a couple scenes where he has to suppress his emotion. He finds one of his homies dead, and he tries to fight back crying in front of the rest of his men. And, like, just the struggle on his face and the... T- the That dude is fucking amazing. He's one of the best actors we have working today. And those were this was a year where we got two great examples of why. Last but not least, 
I would throw some love to Robert Redford in what is his um, what was announced as his final movie uh, he'll be starring in. Uh, that was The Old Man and the Gun. And what a proper love letter. What a proper send-off uh, to him. I was actually there that night, um, opening night, world premiere at Telluride, when they presented that. I saw Robert Redford and David Lowry and Casey Affleck and Sissy Spacek. Yeah, that movie floored me. Such a good movie. That, well, that'll be coming up later in my favorites. But yeah, got to throw some love that way for the acting. And we're narrowing down here. We're not, not many categories left. Actually, only categories left, I would say, are... Let's just go for best theater experience. I'm, uh, I would say all of Telluride. Um, that was my first year going, so what a mind-blowing experience that was. And, yeah, no, just total... I mean, yeah, it's hard to argue with. Annihilation. And Shoplifters. And First Reformed. Uh, both of those two I saw in... Auditorium 3 at Kimball's Peak 3 in the Springs, um, which is like one of my favorite theaters. It's a very small attic theater, and maybe 20 seats, two, two, three. by the time you, yeah, 20, maybe even 30, I guess, by the time, but it's so small and intimate and um, typically quiet. Auditorium 3 with a glass of wine, that's my happy place. Um, <laughs> and Shoplifters and First Reformed both floored me in that. More on those later. And while I'm talking about theater experiences, I can't deny 2001 A Space Odyssey in IMAX for its 50th anniversary. That was an absolute treat that I will never forget. Bucket list screening, you know, of that's one of my favorite movies of all time, and always wanted to catch it on the big screen, and so to do it in 4K IMAX, um, stop it. It was, it was, it annihilated me. <laughs> and if I could just have biggest disappointments uh, in the theater, um, it would be retroactive disappointment for not seeing Cold War on the big screen. Um, it was, it was actually at Telluride 2018, and it went right under my nose. God damn it. It was right there in front of me the whole time, and I don't know. It just wasn't on my priority list. I didn't know anything about it. I judged a book by its cover. I'm like, it's black and white. It's foreign. It's called Cold War. You know, it's probably going to be dull and dreary and heartbreaking. Um, and it couldn't be further from any of those things. I mean, it is heartbreaking, but good kind of way. That aching, so, so much love, it, it aches, it hurts <laughs> kind of way. Not like, yeah, okay. But without further ado, then, let's see. Let me check my notes. I think that that covers all of the awards. Okay. So without further ado, let us, let me present to you. Now, in descending order. Oh, man. See, even as I'm looking at this, I'm like, God, I can't believe some of these are left off. That's crazy. Okay, folks, here we go. Boundless Gaze Awards presents the top 30 releases 2018 in descending order For, let, let me just give out some honorable mentions because god damn it i hate leaving some of these off let's go uh lars von trier's the house that jack built a portrait of a serial killer unlike anything i've ever seen and 
it is unapologetic and brutal and will probably piss most of you off. Um, I don't think, yeah, no, I think there's like, if you're into this kind of stuff, you would probably, you know, if, if, yeah, you would like it, but not for everyone. The aforementioned Hostels, incredible movie. One of the best westerns I've ever seen and just a great story. I would also throw some love out to a couple of docs, um, Hal, about the filmmaker Hal Ashby and specifically his run of amazingness in the 70s. Um, I would also recommend the documentary Film Worker, which is still up on Netflix. Um, it's about Leon Vitali, a name you might not know, but you should. Um, he was Stanley Kubrick's right-hand man and personal assistant through thick and thin since the 70s. The dude, uh, the amount of work he's done to preserve Stanley, like, yeah, no, that is, I'd say, essential viewing if you're a cinephile and especially a Kubrick fan. I liked Vice. There was a couple studio comedies I liked this year, Blockers, uh, Game Night. I'd, I'd have to give a shout-out to Brawl and Soul Block 99, as Craig Zoller continues to impress me. No one's got a style like him, and um, I'm really digging it. Thoroughbreds, I already gave a little love to. That definitely is worth watching. Black Klansman, Spike Lee joint. Okay, that's enough. I'm just going to name everything that year. <laughs> Okay, without further ado, sorry, sorry, sorry. Drum roll, bring top 30 of the year in descending order. Here we go, number 30, Boots Riley, sorry to bother you. Watch the trailer to this. This one's not going to be for everyone, but those who do like it, I think will love it. It's razor, razor sharp satire. And Boots Riley is clearly a big fan of Michel Gondry. You can see him imitating his style in a lot of spots not without not like blatantly ripping it off but you're like ah oh, yes that's gondry-esque sorry to bother you i believe still streaming on hulu check it out also let's go 29 american animals that was the previously mentioned one with the hybrid half documentary half narrative feature thing um the way that that was pulled together was good and it's it's actually just an interesting story 28, Wes Anderson's Isle of Dogs. This is like the first, this, this tells you how incredible of a year this is because Wes Anderson typically, you know, that's like, that's in my top five. Any year Wes Anderson makes a movie, it's at the very least in my top ten. It's usually hanging out in the top five. Um, I love him and I love his work. And Isle of Dogs is an incredible movie and I love it. There's just 27 movies I love just a little bit more. <laughs> so, holy cow. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, coming in at number 27. I already talked a little bit about this in Biggest Surprises. Uh, hell of a flick. And I think this is up on Netflix. Yes, yes, it uh, still should be. Um, if you haven't yet, don't judge a book by its cover. This movie was a lot of fun. And looking forward to more from that studio. Number 26, Avengers Infinity War. I'm a sucker for those Marvel movies. I love them. And... Infinity War was a, whoa, whoa, a lot going on. I think I like Endgame more, just because of the closure and uh, some of the moments in that that hit harder for me, but uh, Infinity War was a hell of a ride and uh, crazy filmmaking achievement in its own right. And uh, number 25, Damien Chazelle's First Man. Chazelle blew me away with Whiplash and stole my heart with La La Land. 
and so first man was obviously high on my priority list and I actually got to catch a it wasn't the world premiere because it had been playing for a day um but I caught first man at Telluride that year and uh Sasha's all there presenting it super good movie um I'm actually I would say I'm due for a revisit on that because I've only seen it the one time and it was late and I was tired and I was very impressed and loved it but I think that there's some rich details there that I could use. I copped the Blu-ray. I just haven't rewatched it yet. So this actually could go up in my estimation, but at the very least, it already made my top 30 and super good flick. Worth watching. Number 24, Mission Impossible Fallout. I mean, you'll know if that's for you or not, but I'd say even if you think it's not for you, it probably still is for you because I thought it wasn't for me and uh, I've seen it about five or six times now. Uh, Absolutely love the movie. One of the best action flicks of the decade, and it's just a franchise that keeps on giving. What will Tom Cruise do next? Speaking of insane stunts, um, heading to number 23, we got Free Solo. Uh, the documentary of Alex Honnold as he climbs El Capitan in Yosemite National Forest. And uh, does it without ropes. And it makes your palms sweaty and your stomach... <laughs> not feel right um, as you're watching this dude do this. Uh, actually caught this one at Telluride too, and I, I saw Alex Honnold and Jimmy Chin uh, talking to Werner Herzog before they presented the movie. Uh, but man, did that one make me sweaty. What what a what a daredevil and a cool dude. And um, just great filmmaking on display there. That was a, yeah. Heading into number 22, we have Madeline's Madeline, um, which is one of the coolest weirdest wildest most indie things i saw just so fresh um that's still up on amazon prime and it's a tight hour and a half and i already t talked a little bit about it helena what was her name um howard helena howard is the star of that and there's a lot of other talented performers that one yeah worth watching i don't think it would rub everyone the right way yeah, I think it's so experimental and kind of out there in its third act that I don't know how it would leave a lot of people, but I really loved it and need to check out more of that director's work, Josephine Decker. I am curious after that with the balls that she had, the balls, <laughs> the guts, the intestinal fortitude, the bravery, the courage, and there's, there's, there's different things I could say than balls, especially... <laughs> with a female filmmaker um but the emotional intelligence and uh just raw ferocity of emotion that is on display in there the interesting direction um i am definitely sign me up for anything that that woman does next because talk about unique um heading into number 21 also a, a female filmmaker miss deborah granick leave no trace um ben foster thomas and mckenzie father daughter father with PTSD from the war and can't live in normal society and so he trains his daughter to live out in the Pacific Northwest woods and they live off the grid self-sustaining leave no trace style though um you know responsible that movie is fucking breathtaking it's phenomenal amazing performances from both of them amazing cinematography of the Pacific Northwest forest and just great story it it will touch you and that was an H or no, I think that's an Amazon original. Um, 
So that should definitely still be on Prime. Okay, there's the first 10. Getting into the next level of hitters here. Some pretty heavy hitters. 20, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. The latest from the dynamic duo of Joel and Ethan Cohen, the Cohen brothers. Um, some of the modern masters of the medium. And this time they took uh, their project to Netflix. How cool is that? Six contained stories of life and death on the American frontier. All great in my book. There's one of them that I don't care to watch again just because of how fucking sad it is and cruel and unfair it is. Um, but, I mean, it was obviously effective. <laughs> uh, but there's a couple of those that, yes, incredible. That should still be up on Netflix as well. Since it's a Netflix original, I don't think that'll ever be leaving. Hitting on over to number 19, we have the directorial debut of Mid-90s by Jonah Hill. Another movie following the trend of the tight 90-minute, uh, and it works. Great story, told with sensitivity. And that one just particularly resonated for me because it was a little close to home for me of the way I grew up and how I behaved and uh, how I was a young cub coming into the world growing up and not knowing my place in it and finding what I liked and didn't, you know, like there's just a, as a, a boy who has gone through that, um, a lot of that movie resonated with me. Coming in at number 18, we have David Lowry's The Old Man and the Gun, the final love letter send off to Robert Redford with great performances all around. Uh, Sissy Spacek, Casey Affleck, Danny Glover, Tom Waits, uh, all exceptional. Um, and it's just the story of a great old gentleman bank robber, you know. He robs banks, but he does it with class. He doesn't hurt anyone. He's a gentleman. He's polite. And uh, he just can't stop. He loves the thrill. Such a good movie. Highly recommend that. Number 17, Roma. Alfonso's Cuaron's Roma. Now, I might be like one of the only people that doesn't have this in my top 10. Most people have it in their top 5 or 3, or it was just most people's favorites of the year. Um... Tremendous movie. Like, there's no denying the technical craftsmanship, um, the breadth of that story, how unique it is, how it's semi-autobiographical. You know, it's, like, autobiographical, but from a person in his life. Like, he's not even the focus of the story. He's in the periphery. It's just about this maid who took care of them and raised them and uh, her struggles and what the country of Mexico was going through. There's just uh, there's a lot going on in there, and it's worth watching for the the lush black and white cinematography alone up on netflix also that was a netflix original so definitely worth watching number 16 blind spotting um i mentioned both of these guys in the acting category and original songs uh rafael casal and david diggs crafted something interesting here worth watching and i mean for the record this might persuade or dissuade some of you depending on your leanings um Obama had it on his top 10 of the year. Obama had a bang in top 10 of the year list, by the way. That dude's got great taste. We share quite a few in common. I had blind spotting, blind spotting a couple spots lower than him, but a powerful flick and worth your time. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere or where you can find it, but if you ever encounter it, blind spotting is worth your time. Number 15, uh, Left the Corpse's Tan. Sexy, weird bloody just just wild time um definitely not for everyone but 
check out the trailer, and if you think you'd like it, then you would probably like it. Uh, it's a stylishly, it's a stylish extravaganza. Uh, number 14, You Were Never Really Here. Lynn Ramsey, Joaquin Phoenix, Get Out of Town, good pairing. Uh, I love how she subverts, she, she takes a story and a genre, the bones of it, the skeleton of this movie we've seen a hundred times before, but because of the subversions and misdirections and subtlety of this creative team, uh, it comes across like nothing you've ever seen before. Great performance from Joaquin and just 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 a good story. That one is up on Amazon. That's an Amazon movie, so you can still catch it there. Number 13, well, uh, ironically enough, also an Amazon original that you can still catch there, Suspiria. Uh, Dario, Dario Argento's, no, not Dario, that's who did the original. Um, uh, God, what is that guy's name? Luca Guadagnino, what's his name? Uh, he did a remake of his fellow countryman's giallo horror classic, Suspiria, and holy fucking shit, there is some image, there are some sights and sounds of this that will never leave me, that will fucking haunt me forever, in ways both good and bad, um, just the raw, the tenacity of the dance sequences in this, and the breathing, the primordial femininity, and the tightrope balance of enchantment and fear and there's just something at play with the sacred feminine in that and uh oh it it's beautiful and it is disturbing and um i'd say it's worth a watch <laughs> i actually need to re-watch it um but no i yeah absolutely love suspiria now streaming on amazon prime heading into number 12 we have another stylishly glamorously glamorously out there extravaganza in tone and style uh, panos cosmatos's mandy starring nicholas cage and andrea risenborough what the fuck is this movie how did this movie get made i love it <laughs> psychedelic as fuck and just ethereal oh just there's nothing quite like mandy um check out the trailer you'll know if it's for you or not but if you're in the weird stuff and sexy, psychedelic violence um, and fully unleashed, untamed Nicolas Cage on a, a drug-fueled revenge spree, um, yeah. If you need some of that in your life, there's Mandy is your medicine. <laughs> I love it. Ah, Coming in at number 11, we have Thunder Road by Jim Cummings. Um, I already talked about that sensational performance opening shot closing shot it got shout outs for um everything in between is great um i don't know where it or if that's streaming at all where you can find that but if you encounter it thunder road is a remarkable first time feature okay bump bump we're into the top 10 here heavy hitters here oh man Number 10, I, I, I give to Mariel Heller's Can You Ever Forgive Me? Uh, we caught the world premiere of this at Telluride. I knew nothing about it. It absolutely floored me. Ch sensational movie. Tremendous work uh, from everyone involved. And I was super high leaving the theater, and um, Mariel Heller was standing at the door 
kind of gauging people's reactions and i we made direct eye contact with her and i was just like uh uh thank you <laughs> good day <laughs> and just awkwardly shuffled away and she's like oh well uh thank you <laughs> um but no can you ever forgive me is good stuff i don't know same thing i don't know where it's streaming but seek it out take it in that's that's a good movie number nine number nine yorgos lanthimos's the favorite the story of this strange triangle old british royalty backstabbing a game of chess and affection um and the language of that is so fun and it's easily Yorgos Lanthimos's most accessible movie, even though there are parts of it that are brutal and unapologetic, unrelenting. He, there's something fun about it, and the way that it moves, it's just breezy. Very good flick. Uh, all three actresses, sensational. All of the supporting people, great. Costume design, production design. Some of my favorite cinematography of the year, big, wide, even Fish Islands is at cer on certain shots, um, panoramic wide, like proper wide. <laughs> Can't recommend that enough. Moving into number eight, looks like we have the one and only documentary on this list, um, except for my honorable mentions. Morgan Neville's Won't You Be My Neighbor, the Fred Rogers doc that made me laugh and and feel so many feelings um <laughs> that movie just uh gave me so much hope good dose of optimism and compassion and just made me love that fucker so much and hearing his wife talk about him and just hearing her yeah it just broke my heart that is an incredible movie don't buy a ju don't judge a book by its cover honestly i would say Watch this before A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Not that that was a bad movie or anything, but if you need a proper dose of Fred, Fred Rogers, I'd say you can do no wrong with Won't You Be My Neighbor. And it's incredible. It's tremendous. And you will leave a better person. Number seven, Bo Burnham's Eighth Grade. Uh, you knew this was coming. Tremendous first-time feature. It's vulnerable and sensitive and emotionally intelligent and understanding of there's something universally relatable about it um the anxieties that we all go through at that age we're middle school age you know as we're changing and developing um there's universal elements universally relatable elements to it but it's also so specific to these kids these millennials or whatever if there's a newer generation than that now, I don't know uh, what you call them, but these kids growing up now in the age of uh, cell phones in everyone's pockets and uh, social media and Snapchat, all of that stuff, all of those double-edged swords and how this girl walks that balance and goes through these things. It's another example of an hour and a half movie that packs a punch in that time, doesn't outstay its welcome and... I just loved every minute of it, the way it was shot, the way it was edited, the way it was directed and acted, and the emotions that it conveyed, and the hope that it leaves you with. 
um, it is like cautionary and it's cautionary without being cynical. It's hopeful that we can figure things out and learn to balance these things. Um, it's, it's, it's a great movie. Eighth grade um, is streaming on Amazon Prime, I believe. Check it out. It is worth a watch. Heading into number six, we've got Paul Schrader's First Reformed. Um, whoa. Maybe career best performance from Ethan Hawke. Uh, I mean, it's right up, you know, I'm a sucker for the Before trilogy. Um, and he does, yeah. This is just um, maybe got a little, well, no, you can't even say that because there's dramatic heft in those two. This is just good work from him. I don't, I don't want to say it's his best, but it was definitely one of the best performances of the year. And up there is one of his best. Um, quiet. It's in that transcendental style. Um, the camera doesn't move. It's fixed. It's placed. Static shots. Long conversations in rooms. Um, Ethan Hawke plays a priest that is an alcoholic. And he's losing his faith. Um, and that's tested even more when he meets a man who enlightens him to what our species is doing to the planet and the timelines of if we don't get our shit together just how soon this world is going to fall apart we're literally trashing the place um at a crazy rate and so this guy is freaking out because he doesn't want to have a daughter he doesn't want to bring a daughter into a world that's going to be over polluted and in crisis in a matter you know of 10 20 years uh and unlivable potentially in like 40 or 50 the way we're going um and the crisis of faith the conversations that occur are exhilarating um for such a a movie that is so deliberately paced and i don't want to say slow because i don't want to make that sound derogatory um it's slow in a because it's meticulous because it's deliberate but the screenplay the, the words are exhilarating it's I, I was, for, for just a couple guys sitting around in a room talking or whatever the situation, you know, whatever's going on, I was transfixed. Um, I was totally taken aback by how amazing this movie was. Um, can't highly recommend it enough. And there's elements of it I can't talk about without, like, yeah. You will never see where this movie's going. Um, I'll tell you that. Not in a hundred years could you guess what happens. Well, maybe you could. If you had a hundred years, I'm sure you could. Maybe even if you had a day, or if I gave you an hour and you started guessing random things, you might get it. It would take a while, though. It's pretty... Whatever. Um, <laughs> First Reformed, streaming now on... That was an A24 joint, so that should be up on Amazon Prime still. Uh, number five, number five. Another A24 joint. Another thing you can watch on Amazon Prime right now and that I highly recommend you do, was the directorial debut of Ari Aster with Hereditary, the dark, unsettling look at um, what we inherit from our parents and our environments, uh, and for good and bad. This fucking movie, I love it to pieces. I love all the performances in it, everything about it, um, the atmosphere, the occurrences, um, from a technical aspect, it's shot amazingly, edited uniquely, performances are off the charts. I, I can't stress enough how spectacular Toni Collette is in this movie. It's one of my favorite performances of all time. Like, she just breaks your heart. I absolutely 
adore Tony Collette in this movie. But Gabriel Byrne does great. Alex Wolf does great for like not doing very much acting. Um, he crushed. <laughs> he he genuinely yeah. There was a couple takes of his face that yeah. As well as Millie Shapiro, the young girl Charlie in that movie. Um, very unique performer and crushed this role. There's nothing quite like Hereditary, even though there's you know parallels you could draw to other movies. Um, the way that it behaves as a whole. The characteristics of it are wholly unique. Um, I know the ending has lost a lot of people. A lot of people were on board with it up until that third act, but um, I couldn't be more on board. Absolutely, yeah. No, Hereditary is one of a kind, and Ari Aster is a talent to watch, and consider me in day one for anything that he makes after these first two features. Hereditary is one of, in for my money, it's one of the best... Uh, directorial debuts like ever i fucking love it that's on amazon prime go check out hereditary you won't regret it or maybe you will in which case you can leave me a voice message and say hey i watched hereditary and it wasn't for me and i'll say fuck you you suck because hereditary fucking rules ha ha no one else can have an opinion only me that's why i do this show alone most of the time (laughs) okay Moving on to number four. Final four here, folks. Hoo, hoo, hoo. Paddington 2. What a surprise, right? I mean, you're like, look at all this artsy-fartsy indie fare. This serious, dramatic, dark character studies uh, dealing with the darker elements of humanity. And then there's Paddington that just is such a, a big warm hug. And a massage. And your favorite meal. And uh, a full spa day. <laughs> Oh, it's 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 fucking amazing. I just rewatched it actually this week, um, for like the fifth time. It's a little happy pill for me. Paddington Two, I cry every time. There's like three parts in this. The opening and closing make me cry, <laughs> and not just sad. It's like a different. I don't even know how to explain it. It's an overwhelming feeling I get. Um, like I'm so happy. I get. I cry. Like yeah. I guess that's what tears of joy are. I guess that's like when people cry at weddings and stuff. That's what they're experiencing. I guess I'm just a sociopath and I don't experience that in real life. And I can only experience it through the story of this <laughs> animated bear. <laughs> but um, it's just so beautiful. Um, jokingly, you could almost call it one of the best Wes Anderson movies ever. Um, just because there's so many similarities in production design and costuming and uh, just the whimsical way that it's framed and the way that it rolls out. And I guess even his, you know, the British, it is a joint from the UK, everyone's British, so um, their deadpan kind of humor at certain points is kind of like Wes's deadpan humor, so I guess that's another similarity. But Paddington 2 will give you all the feels and make you laugh, and it's such a heartwarming tale. I can't recommend it enough. Absolutely love Paddington 2, it's an all-timer. And one that I will will revisit time and time again. I love that bear so much. I just, I love that bear. Okay, I gotta move on. Final three, folks. Number three. Hirokazu Koreeda's Shoplifters. Boom, 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 ba-bingo, ho, what a masterpiece. I will use that word for these last three for sure. Absolute front-to-back masterpiece. Um, it's Japanese, so... Don't let that scare you. It tells the story of a makeshift family, a scrappy 
group uh, of of uh, of misfits um, who were hiding out in poverty and shoplift to survive, and it's about their struggles and the way they come together as a family. The, just the emotional nuance of this movie, the way that it's shot and framed and acted, um, it it was a lightning bolt to my head and to my heart. Uh, I just this this one absolutely floored me. This one absolutely shook me up in such a good way. Ones like this don't come along every day. Don't judge a book by its cover if you're scared to watch foreign films. Um, this was superior to most of the American cinema that year. Shoplifters. Don't know where you can see it, but it is worth outright buying or renting somewhere uh, if it's not streaming. It's an all-timer and uh, a thing of beauty. A thing of beauty that I will not soon forget. This one will stick with me. I feel this one down to my bones. Which brings us to number two. Now, number two and number one, I have been flip-flopping. My number two was my number one for a long time. And then after a couple rewatches and debating, I, I swapped them. Which I will let you know why when I talk about my number one. But Alright, for right now, number two. And know that this is a very close number two because it was my number one for most of the year. But Alex Garland's Annihilation. Wow! Fuck. Just, I can't even. I can't even. This movie was made for me. Garland absolutely destroyed me with his debut Ex Machina in 2014. And after that, I was like, this is a modern master. This guy's a genius. Um, Sci-fi virtuoso. Please sign me up for anything he does next. And it just so happened to be an alien invasion movie. Starring Natalie Portman? Get out of town. Everything, I just love how much this movie respects the audience and doesn't explain things. I love the way that it's, fr it avoids cliche and convention at every turn. The dialogue is tremendous. It's shot tremendous. It's acted tremendous. Edited, the music. The entire last third act of this movie, um, I just can't even articulate the... The range of emotions that I experienced and the true awe. One, the climax of this movie is unlike anything I've ever seen. The, the marriage of the music and the visuals are perfect. And what you are seeing, the way that they represent alien life is properly alien. Um, and the way that the encounter is, is unlike any. You know, this isn't typical run and gun oh aliens are here we gotta kill them there's so much nuance and complexity to this story i could talk about annihilation all day um i don't really want to spoil it because if you haven't seen it it's worth seeing fresh but annihil uh, yes I, I i adore annihilation every sight and sound and second of it front to back um it's a masterpiece to me and one of my favorite movies of this year, one of my favorite movies of all time, one that I will be revisiting and puzzling over and talking about and dissecting and arguing for years to come, a true beauty that is Annihilation. And number one, number one, number one. You knew it was coming. It's Pavel Pavlovsky's Cold War. I can't even, geez Louise, geez Louise, what a feature. In an hour and a half, this movie accomplishes 
what it takes some series like 10 seasons to do or or can't even do in that time or as much as the next 100 movies this is the most dazzling hypnotic ride journey through the human heart and its facets like these star-crossed lovers from different walks of life swept up in the tides of time this movie covers from 40 48 to 60 maybe it's 68 maybe it's no i think it's 64 my bad yeah a good chunk of time um as these people cross borders both literally um and figuratively um they time passes and things change and they're forced to live apart for a while and they always come back to each other it's a magnetic pull that neither of them can resist and there's just the type of love it is the type of romance it is the tough love the way that the romance is handled the longing like i just can't even um i have a hard time explaining even uh this movie is just so special to me i feel it down to my bones down to the atoms of my being (laughs) i just absolutely adore this movie it is still streaming on amazon prime and it is now available on the criterion collection so it'll be streaming on criterion channel soon probably but at the very least you could pick up the blu-ray or dvd and i can't recommend you do so enough this movie i mean if this movie leaves you any bit as in awe as I was, um, it would be worth it for you. Cold War, uh, I just can't sing its praises enough. It's one of the loveliest things I've ever seen or heard. It's um, a story that will never leave me, and it's just one of the best tales of love and romance and the human condition, the human heart. And the bittersweet nature of our passage through time. Um, there's so much to love about this movie. I, I can't wholeheartedly recommend it enough. Cold War. Number one movie of 2018. A proper all-time masterpiece. Um, and that'll do it, folks. That'll do it for my 2018 BGAs. This has been the Boundless Gaze Awards of 2018. Hell of a year. All-timer of a year. Uh, So now that you know my format, you can look forward to me doing this with the 2019 releases. The 2019 BGAs will be um, probably, I'll probably do them like January 1st or 2nd. That way I technically have all of December to catch up on anything I may have missed and get in second watches and reconsiderations on things. Compile that top 30, rearrange it and rearrange it again and rearrange it up until the minute that I record. (laughs) Um, and yeah, work out my, yeah, yeah, yeah. So 2019 is coming at ya. Also, stay tuned. I'll be dropping a short episode soon to explain, um, I'm splitting the show into like three different shows and there's going to be different types of episodes. And so keep an eye out for that announcement coming up soon. Also in December, we've got 1999 flashback and Christmas time, Paul Thomas Anderson love fest. Ooh-wee. God damn, it's, it's, that's going to get sweaty. In the meantime, folks, um, been a pleasure. I hope that you guys have a happy holiday season. 
Hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. And you're in the holiday spirit for Christmas. I will talk to you again before Christmas, but um, yeah. I love you guys. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. You're the best. If you liked or had any comments or disagreed or have anything at all to say, uh, there's a link to leave a voice message in this podcast. Um, and let me know, yeah. But I better wrap this bad boy up. I've been going long enough. Yak, yak, yakin'. I love you all, you weirdos and wild cats. Take it easy out there and be cool to each other, okay? This is Marcus J. Nab signing off from the Boundless Gaze. Take it easy, folks. Love you. Meow.